This is Sound Heights Records Podcast, Session 19. And the song lyric of the day is by Leonard Cohen. Yes, you who must leave everything that you cannot control. It begins with your family, but soon it comes around to your soul. Well, I've been where you're hanging. I think I can see how you're pinned. When you're not feeling holy, your loneliness says that you've sinned. Sound Heights Records Podcast. Harmonizing life and music, growing as an artist, improving as a person, gaining insight and inspiration conversations with world-class musicians. Welcome back to Sound Heights Records. This is Yisrael Aryeh. Today our special guest is the illustrious, talented Benny Friedman. I was really looking forward to talking to Benny because besides the fact that he's kind of a household name in the religious Jewish music world, but just the little bit I know him and knowing where he comes from, he's a very thoughtful individual. He's very a humble individual. He's from a very musical and also rabbinical family. And he really has this kind of unique ability both to connect musically with his singing, but also encapsulate ideas about life, ideas that come from Hasidic thought in a very down-to-earth way. He's a very genuine person. And he actually even surprised me by, by just being really open about his feelings towards music, his own career, and it gave me a lot of insights and a lot of encouragement into what is my place and among the musicians that I know that, especially ones who didn't grow up in the religious world and come from a musical background, kind of getting a perspective on the so-called mainstream Jewish music world. But even more to the point and even more far-reaching in terms of what he shared with me and with us in this conversation was his perspective on our role as musicians in a world of redemption. And there's a really powerful practical application that I think comes out towards the the end of the interview, but just to encapsulate and to apply it to our work as musicians in particular, that I know for myself and as those who have listened to these podcasts and know me at all, that one of the things that I'm always looking for is consistent or renewed motivation in terms of 
what we're doing musically. So sometimes motivation, motivation can come from a certain momentum, a certain kind of attention that's being paid to a person and their music. Sometimes the motivation can come from money, it can come from more artistic places, a, a certain inspiration. A person wakes up with certain kinds of dreams and has certain emotions that they want to put into the world. And all these things can kind of work together to drive a person to continually create, which I think ultimately when it comes down to it, that for a musician to be more than just a musician in name, they're someone who is involved in music, someone who's creating music. So when you really think about the ultimate end game, if we're, we've been talking about a world of redemption, what that will look like, and particularly interested in what it will look like musically, what it will look like for musicians. And if this world is unfolding as we speak, even though we don't see it so clearly, if it's not so obvious, then the musicians that will be integral to that, let's say, celebration of a moment or a period of time of, of revealed redemption, will need to be ready. <laughs> we'll need to be ready with their music. And Benny brings it in, in the way of a preparation for the physical exertion of dancing that will come in a grand celebration. And I find thinking about that to be a really fundamental, almost daily motivation that we're preparing for something, we're preparing for something big. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly what our role will be. But we certainly know that we need to be in shape. We need to be in shape to dance. We need to be in shape to musical shape to play the music that whatever will be <laughs> called to play on at the time. But certainly the, the preparation is, is such an integral part of that. And as Benny says, it's not about you. This idea of moving beyond our ego, moving beyond our, our trying to satisfy ourselves, which is not a wrong motivation, Sometimes our creative impulse does serve to satisfy ourselves, but that's not our primary motivation. Our primary motivation is to be of service beyond ourselves. And the fact that I think as musicians, we're in a unique position that it just so happens very often, if not always, when, when we're serving the higher musical purpose, it also happens to be satisfying creatively and spiritually, emotionally, and we hope that that spills over into other aspects of our lives. That's what really this podcast is about, that, that discussion of how that might work and how to make that happen. So again, I'm very excited to share this interview with you all. And I just want to give appreciation and thanks to the patrons that support this podcast and to all of those who give feedback, both positive and constructive. It's, it's really appreciated. Um, you can go to soundheightsrecords.com to find out how to join our Patreon. And you can always send an email to soundheightsrecords at gmail.com. Always look forward to hearing from you. This podcast and all of our public releases, especially the ones free of charge, are really thanks to the support of our patrons, and we encourage you to become a part of that. It's a, a growing community in general of, of musicians that are looking to support each other and to make more great music, things that haven't been heard from before, things that will usher in 
an era of joy and celebration of, of peace throughout the world and of global redemption. So on that note, here's a conversation with the great Benny Friedman. appreciate you coming out here today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You know, we're, we're neighbors and we have been davening together for a little bit in, uh, yeah. in shul. And, uh, you know, it's really a, an honor for me for you to come here. You've been on my, since I first started this podcast, you've been on one of my short lists oh, of nice. people I've wanted to interview because you really fit in with, with the topic of music and um, life skills and, you know, Torah perspectives. Nice. Uh, it's a nice little surprise to walk into the spot. I love it. I didn't even know. I mean, it's just down my block, and I didn't. Uh, it's a nice, cozy little corner here. This is super great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, definitely gonna have to be back here. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. It's a. It's an empty space. Who knows what can happen? That's amazing. <laughs> Superb. So, I'd love to get. You know, obviously, there's, I mean, there's a million things I'd love to ask you. And get into it, but if you, if you don't mind, you usually like to start and just go back to the beginning, the first musical memory that you have. Ooh, wow. The first musical memory, whoa. I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, Take uh, your time. yeah, I remember. First one that comes to mind. The first, the earliest memory of music that comes to mind is sitting in the car with my, I know my father was in the car. And some of my siblings were in a car, I don't remember who. And we were, I want to say, parked outside a supermarket in Minnesota. And we were listening to a recording of the first Hask concert, where it was my uncle Avram Fried, my father's brother, uh, Mordechai Ben David, and Yoel Sharabi. And I remember very vividly believing that that was basically the whole music world. Just those three people, that's it. <laughs> As far as I was concerned, that was it. That was music. Uh, so that was that that concert, that era, the, those those Mordechai ben David and Avram Fried in particular, and of course particularly Avram Fried because he's my uncle, were had the most f influence on me hmm. musically from the earliest age that I can remember. Yeah, I never thought about that, the earliest musical memory. How old, let's say, how, around how old were you? With? If I had to guess, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe six years old, five years old, something like that. Was that made more of an impression on you than, let's say, Naguna Moran? Because I know your father talks about singing Naguna Moran on the table. It's a very musical family in general. But they, hearing it on, on, in the car on a stereo was what made a certain impression as opposed to just the family singing? Well, we, we did a lot of singing. Um... I don't know, I'm just fishing for memories. I remember, obviously, sitting around the table on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Singing was a big part of it. I remember we were singing uh, some of the Yom Tov Erlich Yiddish songs 
long before Alfred Fried recorded them. Um, certain songs my father would sing every, you know, d special uh, holidays throughout the year, special songs came along with them. I remember that, sure. Um, th those sitting around the table singing never uh, inspired me to go be, uh, you know, a stage performer. Mm -hmm. It was more the concert videos or, or recordings that we got from my uncle and things like that. That was like, made me start thinking that that was even a, a thing. Yeah. So was were there, were there, I mean, later on, were there other, I mean, obviously your uncle, his music probably made a big, played a big role in terms of playing in your home, but eventually did you, were you exposed to a broader range of, of recorded music? Yeah, sure. Um, there, there, were, there was a few people that I would say were the most influential for me. It was obviously Avram Fried, Mordechai Ben David for sure. Um, Moshe Yes. Mm. Moshe Yes was a big presence in our home. Um, Isaac Bitone. Mm -hmm. um, probably Silva Zemmer, Boys Choir, Miami Boys Choir, London Boys Choir. Um, and then later on came uh, all the Israeli music. That I, you know, Chaim Yisrael was a big one. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, a lot of my music and most of whatever caught on and became successful is Hebrew language music, mm -hmm. which, uh, yeah, my first taste of Hebrew language music was Chaim Yisrael. I, I, I credit him a lot to, mm -hmm. for that, uh, you know, the gishmak I have in singing Hebrew language. I don't know. Uh, he was a big part of it. Um, a lot, yeah. Um, we, we had Yitzhak Baton was here mm -hmm. not long ago. I mean, we released the episode with him just a couple of months ago. Um, obviously, he had a very <laughs> different... He told this whole story, which was amazing. Yeah, I don't have and, a story that comes close to that. Well, well but he, you know, he, when he started to get to the point where he was talking about the, the music he was releasing, he was recording and releasing when he, after he'd already come to Crown Heights, um, he had a... So he released a couple of albums in the early 80s. I guess those are probably, maybe probably the ones that you yeah, sure. grew up with, right? And he, uh, he mentioned that the Jewish music world, for him, felt, um, after a while, very closed. Because maybe they didn't understand where he was coming from. But for you, it wasn't, you didn't make a distinction necessarily to this is like a Balchuva with his music and this is other, or was it? Um, no, for us, not. I mean, uh, as a kid, I didn't have any of that. You know those those differences, but I mean, I'm, I'm I can definitely see it now, looking back at what he was going through and what a lot of people go through. You know what I mean? He's a world class talent, and uh, and he gave up everything to become from, mm -hmm. and then tried music. You know, tried his hand at music in this, in you know, in the, in the in, you know, in the religious circles, and and nobody understood what he, what he wanted. <laughs> nobody understood what he was doing. Right. Right, everybody was was busy listening to Ben C and Shanker, and suddenly this guy's like, "No, we gotta play rock and roll." Mm -hmm. And like, if people, so it, it's, it, it, I mean, I can't, I can't say I know what he what he's going through, but I could just imagine it must be horribly frustrating. But from your perspective, growing up listening to that music, did it all just seem like all just different shades of yeah. of Jewish music? So you, it didn't, yeah. you didn't necessarily notice that his musically was coming from a different place. No, it was just all music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, so I imagine just that the music that was played in your home was of a very specific um, Jewish music from particular sources. I, I can imagine you were exposed to music from, I mean, I guess other, the broad spectrum of the Jewish world, I imagine. But beyond that, I mean, classical music, anything like that, where, where is no. that you were kind of strict? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all Jewish. Uh -huh. It was all Jewish. Um, but you... it was very, very, like you say, very broad. Yeah. It wasn't like, this is kosher and this is not. It was Jewish music is Jewish music and it was all, mm -hmm. it was all available. Do you think it feels like it was like a, a particular effort that your parents made to um, find a variety of music? I know, for example, let's say for myself, a lot of Balchuvas that come to the... Jewish music world, or they come to the Jewish world and immediately take on this value of only Jewish music for me, or my children eventually, only Jewish music. And often it's really, a, it's a very challenging period of time. I'm sure you've encountered individuals um, where it seems like, we're, especially someone who really loves music, which is most people, but certainly uh, spiritual people, Belchivas, um, musically inclined ones who have this huge spectrum of music that they come from, that they grew up with, that's close to their heart. Right. And then they, they learn or they, they decide for whatever reason they want to take on, I'm just going to listen to Jewish music. And it almost seems like the whole world <laughs> drinks down right, to sure. this small selection of things. For sure. Um, so I, obviously you came from a, you know, the inside out. In and in I mean, right. you know, broadening your perspective as you, I'm sure, as you grew older. But uh, that, that idea, it's... it's one of the reasons I'm very excited to talk to you is this idea of, of appreciating and understanding the parameters of Jewish music, especially for, for a person, let's say, who's very concerned with those things. I mean, there, there are a number of individuals that I speak to that are extremely musical, both ones who grow up in a, in a religious environment and ones who come to it later on who are challenged by this they you know, to, and most of them, unfortunately, to the point of just like putting it to the side one way or another. Right. Either I'm not even going to listen to music, you know, I'm just going to listen to a couple of things that I know are kosher, or, you know, or it becomes a stumbling block. I know, especially for, unfortunately, certain women, um, not only women, but I'm saying, you know, who the call issue becomes an issue, then they just like, oh, I can't do with any of it. I'm going to just do my own thing. But in your perspective, what is the... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm getting into something I want to talk about later because I want to get more of your story. Right. But um, something to think about is the, 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 your perspective on the p parameters of Jewish music in terms of what, I mean, obviously as a father and what you feel, you know, is appropriate. Um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. I, you know, I don't want to get off the rails in terms of I want to hear more of your story because I'm very interested in it. But that's just... Uh, I think I think it's... Uh, there's halachic... Right, the halachic aspect of it, which is, right, I mean, the kolisha thing is a halachic issue. Um, and then maybe like some religious music, like other, you know, music coming from other religions. You know, yeah, you have to ask a rabbi, you know, they might have a halachic ramifications. But other than that, I mean, I think you need to use common sense, right? If a song is inappropriate and you don't want your kids to listen to it, then it's inappropriate and your kids shouldn't listen to it. But, but if you, I mean, look, I'm, and, uh, if you, you're a religious person, you have a religious uh, sensitivity, you can tell it for yourself. 
what's kosher and what's not. Music is not inherently kosher or unkosher one way or the other. Music is parav. If you think something is good and, and useful and, and helpful and some, you know, I mean, classical music, what, what, what could be the problem with it? What well, should be the problem? I mean, I mean I'll just um, bring up some perspective. I mean, I've been developing my perspective over, over years and learning and hasn't come. But what many people do, um, when, especially I'm, again, I'm talking about people who, like, who want to be very strict with, you know, I mean, not, not for just because they want to be strict, but because they're actually concerned spiritually, but not necessarily have, there's not a lot of places to find very clear, healthy guidance in this way. I'm just, right. um, but a lot of people will say that mu- most classical music, much of it was, was created for other religions. What, it was created by people who had their head in you know, all sorts of places that we don't, we don't want to have our heads. Um, and so therefore, it's, there's something, you know, to stay away from that as well. I mean, maybe that's not a huge portion of the population, but certainly the ones that I know who get very serious about their learning, about their Yiddishkeit, about their, you know, what they feel is affecting their neshama, even though they don't fully understand what that means exactly. Right. Um, they want to be strict about that as well. Right. Which is fine. Everybody can make their own yeah you know, rules for themselves and own guidelines. But I think also it's a problem. I was actually just having this conversation about Pesach, uh-huh. right? Pesach. There are certain things you're not allowed to eat. Mm-hmm. And then there are things that are kosher for Pesach. The problem is that there are a lot of things that are kosher for Pesach that people won't eat. I mean, that's not a problem. It's a, it's a, a stringency right. that people have accepted upon themselves. So I was, I was having this conversation with some of my friends where today more than ever in the last few years really the idea of going to a hotel for Pesach mm-hmm. has really exploded right everybody's going to a hotel for Pesach and people come back and they go it was very nice but it wasn't Pesach right mm-hmm. my kids are growing up without a Pesach but I, I, I thought where maybe where it comes from is that we took upon ourselves such strict rules when it comes to Pesach mm-hmm. right you go into a supermarket and everything's kosher for Pesach but you can't eat any of it because you're too strict, right? right? So what happened is Pesach became so difficult when really it could be so easy. Right. So many ingredients, so many, so many food items are kosher for Pesach that we don't use when we could. So Pesach has become so difficult, people say, Pesach is too difficult, let me just go to a hotel <laughs> where they eat everything, right? I mean, right. And you go, whatever, it's not my business. I'm not the right. cook, I'm not the chef, mm-hmm. I'm not the mashkiach. They've served the food, I eat it. <laughs> so I feel like the stringency has really changed Pesach, not for the better. Right. Right? I, like you, somebody told me, the stringency destroyed Pesach. Yeah. Right? Because it used to be that you had a, uh, you know, stayed at home and you made Pesach food and this. And, and today, you just go to a hotel and it's a vacation. You don't even yeah. realize that yeah. that's any different, except you have to eat matzah. So you have to be careful when it comes to stringencies. Mm. If, if you can handle a stringency, if you're happy with it, if it makes you stronger and better, mm. so good on you. Kol kavod, do it. You know, all the power to you. If it's something that you're struggling with and it's making you miserable and you're not happy and, uh, and, 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 right, and music is something that gives you energy and gives you life and gives you vitality and gives you all these things and you just turn it off because you're trying to be stricter mm-hmm. than what halacha calls for, it's not necessary. You don't have to suffer like that. Yeah, no, that's very, <laughs> and, very and, if, and if it's going to cause you more problems, just don't do it. Listen to the music, enjoy it, and, 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 and have it, let it 
help you on your journey to becoming holier and better mm -hmm. and, and stronger. There's no reason to, to suffer more than necessary for your spirituality. I think this, and that's a very healthy approach. And, and I think it's, it's, and again, this is one of the reasons I have this podcast is because, I mean, there's definitely different musicians that I have in mind with who I feel like that there's, um, that can be kind of encouraged and helped in certain ways. I mean, I'm one, one extreme, maybe a musician who hasn't thought at all about their spirituality and maybe is looking for some more balance in their life. Another extreme is someone who's thought maybe too much about their spirituality right. to the point where they've got it's made them a right. little a little more sugar. Right, which and, is also and, a, and a big problem. The simple joy in, yeah. in, in the music. Yeah. So, but the, this so I think it's a, it's important and good to, to to talk about this. So I'm really, again really happy about you're here. Um, that be to encourage you know because one of the things that that I also imagine in terms of who may be listening to this. Um, and those who I do, I know, do listen, is that you have a musician out there, you know, who's work, who's working through something, who has music in their heart and music in their soul, but something's blocking it. Something, some life circumstance, something somebody's told them. And, and it could be on, you know, because they've been told that they, you know, um, on one extreme again, that they need, need you know, that it needs to be a completely hedonistic musical experience and it's left them empty or that somehow they've over-identified their musical ability with their, with their self-worth or that somehow they've been told that religiously they're, they're less of a, a spiritual person if they, you know, engage in, in a free way with the music that, that comes from their heart. And, that, and that's something that, you know, I, I've seen a lot more of, especially in, in this community, especially, again, among Balchivas people who are new ret returnees to Judaism who don't, uh, you know, I've known individuals who, who are extremely talented musically and have not known how to re-engage or how to continue their education, how to, to get their music out there because it's, it's, maybe it's not kosher, maybe it will be viewed, you know, I, I'll be viewed as less of a, you know, kosher, right. you know. I don't know, it's a good question. I, it's a very personal thing, right? Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't, imagine what a person is going through if he had one life right mm -hmm. that had that had a lot of things in it music being one of them and then he leaves that life and comes to a new life and now has to try to reintroduce a part of that old life right, right. I, I, I don't people associate it with different i don't know i can't yeah, yeah. it's a tough thing i imagine you know to, to just to be able to say let me reintroduce uh, a, a big chunk of that old life that I walked away from and then have it not bring back all this other stuff with it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's and I, again, I'm hearing perspective more on it, I think. But in, in the meantime, I, I, I want to just go back, go back yeah. a little bit to your all story because right. I, I, I feel like that's illustrative as well. So I, don't, you, I don't have such an interesting story, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, I, I was born and then I got a little bit older. <laughs> and then I started to, to sing, which is basically the story. I mean, um, you, you, so you're, but going from, let's say, obviously you grew up in a very musical family, you had the influence um, and, and the inspiration. When did it occur to you? So listening to, to that memory of in the car of listening. So at that point you were thinking I, I could be I, I also performing so. like this. I, I don't know if I thought it was like a very practical thing, but it was definitely like a dream. You could see yourself. Yeah. Or I would, I would, 
Um, so when did that dream start to, to become in, in reality? I don't, I don't know. As a teenager, um, right, when my, my, your voice changes and everything, you have no idea what's going to be, right? It's mm -hmm. always that. And then I couldn't sing. I, I just couldn't sing hmm. for probably four or five years. Wow. Like my voice was just had a, like, you know how it is. It was just, it was cut off. Mm -hmm. It had a, a, a blockage on it and that was it. And I, I was, huh. was done and I struggled with it and I tried and I tried. I wasn't one of those people who, you know, just let their voice do their thing for a few years. Mm -hmm. Like, no, 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 I, I forced it and I fought with it. And then slowly, slowly it just started working again and uh, so when i was uh, when i was uh, in high school or in yeshiva as a bocher as a student i just spent so much time listening to music and singing and and uh, i don't know it, it wasn't like a decision that i made it was just something it was my life it was just that's it was the the the, the direction of my life it just went that way by itself you know and people, uh, it wasn't a secret. I would sing on top of my lungs in a, in a yeshiva <laughs> dormitory. And, uh, you know, that's how it happens. Was, was there a moment where you felt like you had your voice back or you had a new voice? I don't remember exactly the moment. I do remember singing without a voice. Mm -hmm. And it was so frustrating. So, so frustrating. I don't remember exactly the moment when my voice came back because it didn't happen it didn't happen in a, in a minute it happened over time mm -hmm. um around how old were you i want to say i was probably 18 mm -hmm. when suddenly i had any kind of range to speak of mm -hmm. and once i discovered it i was all over it you know i went into we went to, i was a counselor in a camp in manalapan new jersey and we went to Six Flags and they had a, a little karaoke bar, studio, whatever. You get to pick a song and sing on it. Mm -hmm. And I went and did it with my friends and we sang, um, we sang the, the, the Titanic theme song. <laughs> and I put Hebrew words to it and I sang it in the original key. Okay. And it sounds ridiculous when you listen to it now. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I was flying <laughs> high with, those, with that range. I mean, it was, just, I went with my friends, we had a good, a good time, but I was taking it extremely seriously. <laughs> um, and uh, like uh, a musical, a song from, uh, from Cats that Dudu Fisher sings, Memories. I just, you know, I, I was just, I was all over that range. It didn't sound pleasant, didn't sound good. <laughs> I played it for my uncle and he said, oh, very good. Now all you need is some voice lessons and you're ready to go. <laughs> Um, but that was it. I, I was singing all over the place all day and all night. I remember um, I was in a smicha program, which like advanced talachic program or whatever, and studying with my chavrusa, with my study partner. And he, he was getting so frustrated with me because a whole day I was just humming to myself and singing and I couldn't, con I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate. Somebody made me a, a CD, I guess you call it. It used to be called a mixtape. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they call it now. Uh, playlist. Mm -hmm. Somebody made for me a CD of music that he thought I would appreciate. Mm -hmm. And it had songs from, I don't remember who else was on it, but I remember Josh Groban was one of the artists. And he sang a song called Remember. 
Remember, I will still be here as long as you hold me in your memory. I think it's like a, a song from a soundtrack from a movie. It's not on mm-hmm. any of his albums. But that song killed me. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, his range, the way his voice was solid throughout the whole range. That song was in my head day and night. Mm-hmm. Day and night. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus on anything else. <laughs> I was crazy about that song and about that voice. And I researched him and looked up his story. And turns out, the truth is that when you look up uh, most artists, I don't know why, you can find out a lot of information about them. You can't find out who their voice teachers are. You know, it's interesting. (laughs) I don't know. Josh Groban is different. Why? Because his story is that uh, Andrea Bocelli was doing a concert. And for the rehearsal... He couldn't make it for the rehearsal and he was doing a duet with somebody and they needed somebody to stand in for Andrea Bocelli for the rehearsal. Hmm. So the producer of the show contacted a voice teacher who was a friend of his called Seth Riggs mm-hmm. and asked him if he by any chance has any students who sing opera who could stand in for Andrea Bocelli. So he says, I don't have a, a student who can sing opera, but I have a student who can sing operatic. He's 16, 17 years old and I'll send them over. And he sent this kid called Josh Groban. <laughs> and he sang the duet. And the whole place went crazy. All the producers and uh, went crazy for this kid's voice. And that's how he mm. was introduced. And that's how he got his career going. So I saw Seth Riggs. Seth Riggs is Josh Groban's voice teacher. Mm. So I searched him. I, I, I Googled him. And I, found, I, was, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I found out he's like down the block. Mm. So I called the phone number on his website. Hi, I'm wondering if I can get voice lessons with Seth Riggs. Yeah, sure. Come in on Tuesday. (laughs) That was it. My whole life changed. I studied with Seth Riggs for about two and a half years. And my voice went from out of control, whatever, (laughs) to, uh, you know what I mean? For a year, about a year, I couldn't sing. I I, I lost my ability to sing. The first thing he told me was, oh, we're going to have to undo a lot of those Mm. muscles because you're singing completely wrong. And uh, thank God, you know, and that was it. That's amazing. Yeah. And so was you at the point in your mind, you were um, seeing yourself kind of doing some of what your uncle was doing, or do you also, were you imagining Chazanus? Or like what, in terms of what were you working for? What was driving you in terms of your... It's interesting. Your voice? I, what I was trying to, what I was going for, I was, I was in Los Angeles. I was, I was... Um, working for Chabad of Calabasas. My brother is the rabbi, the Shliach of Calabasas. So I was working for him. And uh, with him, I was doing this annual concert dinner for Chabad of Calabasas called the Songs and the Stories of whatever. Songs mm-hmm. and Stories of Shabbat, Songs and Stories of the Jewish calendar, Songs and Stories of uh, Jerusalem, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful mm-hmm. concept. And it wasn't what you would call mainstream Hasidic music. It was a lot of things, and it was Mm -hmm. focused on, the audience was Jews who were not familiar with Hasidic music. Mm -hmm. It was was focused on, on like, Chabad house people. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that that was going to be my focus. Mm -hmm. Not on the religious world, on the greater Jewish world. Mm -hmm. That's where I want to go. And that, and, 
And I remember I said, I, that's where I want to go, but I just, just to start off, I need to make an album like mainstream Hasidic music and just like to get my foot in the door, just like to introduce myself, like I'm not here to hurt anybody, I'm okay, whatever. <laughs> Uh, and I remember my father told me, do it, but just don't get stuck. <laughs> and lo and behold, I got so stuck. <laughs> and here we are today, five well, albums I've heard later. You I've heard, I heard another interview you did, it was like 2013, you were talking about, my, my goal is to, to make music for the broader yeah. audience. And, and we were even we were talking about a Fabrengen a few weeks ago, Shabbos, and you were talking. So, what, so have you... So it's I, still so in there. It's in still in there, in the back of my head. It's still in there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a, an album in English, and it's going to have broad appeal. This is my hope. Yeah, well, you're God willing. It's something, That's something I mean, because, I, I mean, already, I mean, you, you've, you've built, uh, you know, obviously a career and, and a platform and a name. You know, it's, it's like you're definitely a household name in, you know, in certain circles. I think one of the things that is... Like I was saying before about someone who comes from a background of the broader world of music who comes and they limit themselves um, to they look at the world of what do you call mainstream Jewish music it's a, it's it's hard to see that that appeal of that music outside of the context that it's in and there are certain let's say um, like world musics where you know you hear you know some kind of African cultural music. But, you know, it spreads around the world because right. there's a certain tom to it. There's a certain whatever it is that, that, that resonates across cultures. I, I, what's interesting about, I mean, that, you know, you would think that, that going deeply into, into a culture, there are a number of very popular entertainers, you know, or, or musicians, or whatever, from different cultures around the world who are extremely deep into their own cultural music, but who have an you know, who have a, a, a global audience, like, you know, the world, the genre of world music. Is right. that, sure. So what, do, I, why do you think, I mean, or do you agree with me that that's like an interesting thing about the so-called mainstream Jewish music world is it, it doesn't really have that, it has a strong appeal within the, the context of, um, you know, the religious Jewish world, but doesn't necessarily translate out of that. Do, do you have any thoughts about that? I, I, it's interesting. I don't know. Um, first of all, it's, I mean, obviously you're saying like African music also is not, it's not English and yet it has that appeal. I don't know. Uh, Hasidic music is mostly Hebrew and mostly not conversational Hebrew, mostly Lashon Kaidash, right? Mm -hmm. Mostly biblical Hebrew pronounced in a, a very Ashkenazi way mm -hmm. that people who speak Hebrew, you know, in their life don't even understand what they're saying, right. even though you're speaking Hebrew, they don't, but they don't understand it because mm -hmm. you're talking in such a weird dialect. Yeah. Um, so, so there, it could be that's part of it. Also, I, I mean, even in Israel, you have the religious music, and then you have that, like, it has no crossover appeal for, for or minimal, minimal. Mm -hmm. You know, a few songs you could probably count on, on the fingers on your hands, how many songs made it from Hasidic music into mainstream mm -hmm. Israeli culture or whatever. Um, the cross, I don't know. It doesn't. Is it possible that it's not great music? <laughs> is it possible to say that? I don't want to say it. I mean, I compared. You're talking about you're talking about competing on on a, on such a level, right? In order in order for Hasidic music to have crossover appeal, 
where it gets a universal audience, you're competing with the greatest musicians on the planet. That's, I mean, that's what it means, right? Well, I would look at it a little bit different than competing. Um, I remember when I, when I was, let's say, like college age, and this was before I came to Yeshiva, before I had a concept of Jewish music at all, um, except maybe Fiddler on the Roof, which was <laughs> my parents' favorite thing. Um, that, and I was discovering music, all different kinds of different music, and I was into some pretty strange music, whether it's like Native American flute or, you know, or um, uh, Australian Aborigine. There's this nice. band named Jamiroquai, you know, he's a pop, he's actually Jewish. Um, soul singer from England because he's very popular and in his first album he had a didgeridoo this Australian traditional instrument um, and and so I sought out some more traditional Australian music because you know with didgeridoo and it was like I got a sense that there was certain music that just I could put on for someone who appreciated music in general who had a little somewhat of an open mind obviously and it would translate you know, there's like certain, you know, back in the 80s, uh, Paul Simon went around the world, you know, another Jewish musician, doing, right. you know, um, he went to Africa and he went, then he went to Brazil and he, he brought these musicians who were not very well known throughout the world and he popularized them throughout the world. One of the fam most famous ones, Ladysmith Black Mombazo, this gigantic uh, singing group. I mean, they, right. you know, were gigantic, they have a huge group. Um, they became like this hugely popular group doing this traditional African music in their language. Um, and that was like all of a sudden like super hip, you know, <laughs> super. And I, I don't think Jewish music is allergic to that. <laughs> I don't think it's not, you know what I mean? Well, here's a question. Yeah. I don't know if, if this is the reality, but might it be that if you take a certain specific genre, right? Let's say, uh, African music or whatever it is I don't, know. I don't know how to classify it and then you take those artists who have crossover appeal or international appeal are they the ones who's who uh, who are big in the African music genre or are they kind of on the fringe so in the case of Ladysmith Black and Baza they're like the kings of the music of their genre right and yeah and then they you know like I'm wondering in the context of Hasidic music there might be you might be able to get crossover appeal, but not from the artists that the Hasidic music audience enjoys. You know what I mean? Could be. I, I, you know, I, I'm, it's an open question. I mean, right. I, 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 a, I mean, I think one, one aspect I think that, that is, there's a, it almost seems like the, the you know, the Jewish, and I, I, I see a distinction between the vocal tradition and the instrumental tradition. Because to me, the vocal tradition in the Jewish music world is very strong. I mean, from Nagunim, which is an oral tradition, um, to Zemiras, and you know, there, there's a mostly oral music tradition that that has uh, really can speak from the heart as a singer. And, and you, as a singer, I think you have that that appeal that it comes from the heart. It's it's easily translatable. Where I think is the Jewish if there is a Jewish instrumental tradition, it's very specifically like this Eastern European tradition, which anyway, the mainstream modern Jewish music world doesn't really embrace that so much. It's, it's more, um, I don't know how to describe it, some kind of like disco, now maybe more modern um, pop production, which is almost borrowing from 
in some ways, instrumentally, the worst of Western music, you know, as opposed to the best of it. I think in some ways, because it's, I'm not sure why that is, and I don't want to judge it. I mean, my, my theory about it was that in the, in the early days of electronic keyboards, um, it was less expensive to use the, you know, the keyboards in musical settings. And, uh, but those early keyboards were really limited in their dynamic range and their abilities. That just became, it came the sound, right. you know, there's like loud, very little dynamics and, you know, um, you know, certain very, um, basic beat, but at this, you know, so I, I don't, I'm not having an answer, but that was just my, that's my impression. But, you know, for example, your, your music, your uncle's music, I mean, something about the, the, what, I mean, when I listen to it, I, I, for the most part, I it resonates with me, and I'm and I'm mostly listening past the the instrumental setting to the soul that's in the center of the music, which is the voice, which which I think communicates very clearly and powerfully. So I you know um, I don't know maybe, maybe it's just a matter of a, of a, you know the instrumental context sometimes maybe to make translate, but um, but it, but at the same time you know here I'm sitting with someone. Whose, your music has resonated in, you know, a very large and significant, uh, you know, population of people who are who are very passionate, um, you know, and and so it's 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 almost like in in this world where there is some real resonance. I mean, I, I know people who've listened um, to your music. I know specific stories. People listen to your uncle's music and who've like it's brought them to states of chuva, you know, they're like reconsidered their whole lives in tears mm -hmm. listening to, you know, you know, Yachid Virabin, you know, or like, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it, there's this very specific, very important purpose of that, you know. Um, but I guess when we're talking about a broader appeal, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that, that for, that makes sense in a, in a way, and that's in a, in a certain way, that's certainly okay if you're not talking about broader appeal, but you're talking about just the connection of the music to an arousal of Yiddishkeit itself. I think it's extremely strong and that's maybe why it's, it has that resonance. But maybe it's not, it's, it's so tied up in, you know, in, in, Yiddish, in the Yiddishkeit that it's coming out of that it's, uh, you know, very specific. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's an interesting question. Because I, I think that if it would have, right, if it would have universal appeal and it would be, it would be lacking, I don't know, that's my, just thinking about it for two minutes, that's my yeah. initial reaction. Is Could be. That the, the hardcore stuff that the Hasidic audience is, is looking for is not what would translate over. Right, it could, it could be. I, I mean, also, I, I think that there's a huge difference. And I, I knew from when I first started coming to Yeshiva and started to go to Fabrangans and hear this incredible rich wealth of, of Chabad Nagunim specifically, um, and then I got introduced to other, you know, Nagunim and other songs from other traditions. But particularly Chabad Nagunim, which, which has this incredible tradition, has incredible, you know, it's connected with a real arousal of the soul. And, and there's, I mean, obviously there's different, many different dimensions to it. There's simcha and dancing. Um, and there's contemplation. I mean, there's so many different, that was, there's, it's such an intriguing world. And there's this Sefer Nagunim, which, which is, is, you know, has codified it. And um, it's, you know, it's this vast world. Um, but just a vocal tradition. And for the most part, unless someone is in my, and I don't, I don't even think that I have the skills, you know, I, um, 
at this point, unless I really, really work on it and specifically, um, which I've just kind of dabbled, of putting those in the gunam to in instruments. I don't think they translate as as easily. Not not as well. But I think it could be translated extremely well. But I don't think they translate as naturally and as easily to instruments. I think they require a certain instrumental skill and precision that takes a lot of a lot more work than you would think than when you just learn in a gun growing up and, and you start to sing and it feels good and you know what I mean? I think it takes a whole nother dimension of study and practice to make instrumental nagunam resonate in, in a way that, you know, is true to its, you know, its spiritual core. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, I don't throw that into that. No, it's true. <laughs> I, 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 I feel that because I, I, you, when you grow up with the nagunam and then you hear an instrumental version of it and you go, ah, <laughs> it's missing something. You know, you can tell that it was it was shopped around to a to an arranger who, who who just looked at the notes and put it to music and didn't really you know sweat and blood and tears through that song you can tell yeah it, it's it's different it's different yeah, along with the oral tradition also came like a whole um you know uh, energy around the song and it has to be like this and it has to be like that and there are certain little uh, little nuances that are important i don't know it's uh, like uh, there's a whole life that comes together with this with the niggin yeah i mean i, I mean i i think there's there's um just going back to the, this idea of what's possible in the future um for you and you know what in the way that i'm inspired in terms of what's possible and seeing other musicians and and people who are inclined in, in such a way to look at what we consider religious music. I mean, the whole idea of the, ma the mainstream to me is, you know, like, um, I, I never kind of really grasped, I, I don't see myself fitting in that particular um, area, but that's, you know, again, like Yitzhak Baton expressed that he, you know, he's a little too different coming from, mm -hmm. but I, I feel, I do feel like there's a lot of potential. And for someone like you who, who is thinking, does think out of the box, even though you feel like maybe you've, you've gotten yourself trapped in a certain box, but, but that, you know, there is there are possibilities there. I mean, the nature of music, there are possibilities of, of creative expression and exploration that to really break through preconceptions and to do things that that one had never considered, you know, go back to that. And I, and I, I definitely encourage you to, to, to think, you know, and if we can, you know, I, I'd uh, you know, invite, you know, we can talk after we, you know, this uh, conversation about more about practical Ideas that I have, you know, that that uh, especially this. I mean, that's what the studio is about: is looking for opportunities to to bring music um, in connection with a deeper goal and a deeper purpose, without losing the basic joy of music itself. Of course, because sure. sometimes you can get so serious. It's like I have a, you know, I'm gonna you know, bring uh, my music to a rabbinical level, and right. you know, it's like uh, that sounds you know, that's like too serious for me. Right, and it, it comes yeah. through in the music, obviously. Right. Yeah. If you, yeah. So, so I think based on what we, we've been talking about, I mean, I think the larger picture is in terms of connecting um, musical inspiration, right? So you had an inspiration to be a singer, and ultimately, you know, it it um, it sounds like you didn't really necessarily put that much um, thought, particular effort into turning it into a pranasa. It sounds like it kind of unfolded through your pursuit of the the art itself, but then then. What the I guess seeing as a musician in a family or in a, in a world of where shluchim people who um, 
really dedicate their lives to a particular purpose of, of spreading Yiddish kind of, of seeing the, vision, the Rebbe's vision of a world of, of redemption, of Mashiach. So how do you see as a musician, this is again one of the major themes of this podcast, and I'm really happy to have you here to address this, this idea of the specific role of musician as a shliach in this particular setting. And it's, I guess this is connected to what we're talking about in having music reach beyond just the, the religious world. But how do you see your role, but also in general, the role of a musician? Um, for sure, music is a tool. And as a tool, it, it, it must be utilized, right, in the Rebbe's view, uh, as far as I understand it. Uh, every tool that is available to you, you must use. Um, and you must use it in, 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 the, in the biggest and the grandest way that you are able to. In fact, today's Hayyem Yayim, right, mm -hmm. where the Rebbe says, if you're able to be a diamond cutter, and instead you are a tanner, mm -hmm. even though the world needs tanners, nothing wrong with that. But if you are able to, to be a diamond, in other words, if you, you might be spending your time doing great things, but if you are capable of more than whatever it is that you're doing now is unacceptable. Hmm. That's the Rebbe's view. The Rebbe's view is everything has potential and everything that has potential must be used to its, to its greatest and fullest potential. And if you have an ability, let's say it's a musical ability, and you're not using it, that's a, that's a sin. You're not allowed, you have no permission to ignore that talent when you've been given this ability to affect the world in such a way. So music is definitely a tool. Music is... Music, like anything else, is power. Like we said, music is power. Music can be used for bad things. Music is extremely powerful, and it can take you to the to the farthest and lowest places. Or music can be used for the greatest purposes. Can music can bring you as close to God as humanly possible, and and it must be used for those purposes. And the Rebbe also, the Rebbe didn't think. In, 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 in small measures. The Rebbe thought globally in huge, uh, big picture, and, and, it's, and it's always been and still is my dream to talk and use music in its, in its or in, in my biggest uh, possible way, whatever that means, to try to, uh, to reach the greatest amount of people and to try to have on them the best effect that I can have on them. Hmm. Um, and there's story after story after story of people who came to the Rebbe with questions about whether they should or they shouldn't. And, and the Rebbe was always extremely encouraging. Do it, do it more, do it bigger, do it better, hmm. do it grander. You're talking about specifically with music? Specifically music. And also I think there are people who came and said to the Rebbe that, they're not interested and they want to focus more on you know growing spiritually whatever it is mm. that they wanted to do and they said, you, don't have, you don't have any permission to do that mm. and and in general not only in music in, uh, but in general i think that the Rebbe's perspective very much was that the days of 
personal spiritual journeys, personal <laughs> spiritual growth. Those days are way, way, way behind us. That was by the Rebbe Rashab, and that was by the Alte Rebbe, and that was where you could just lock yourself in a room and just reach for the stars and see how high you can go. That's over and done with. We did that plenty. And now the, uh, the uh, calling, what we are each called upon to do, is to focus outward hmm. to somebody else. And the Rebbe would say, even if it's, even if it's, I mean, God forbid, even if it's to your own detriment, hmm. spiritual detriment, the whole, like, the whole concept of shlichus, where a person can take his young family and move out to some place in the middle of nowhere, no Jewish education, no kosher food, no, no Jewish infrastructure, no, no religious friends for each other, not, nothing. Hmm. Where every other Jewish leader would say, you can't, you can't go there. You can't, you can't pick up your children and move to some place where there's, where there's no Jewish environment whatsoever. The Rebbe said, you must go. Hmm. But it's going to be difficult for me spiritually. I, I know. But that's not the point. Hmm. Because we're not talking about you. So it's the same concept with music. If you have a talent, you have an ability, you are, you are obligated hmm. to use it and to use it in the biggest way and to affect in the most positive way the most amount of people that you can. So it's interesting. So I, I love what you're saying. And, and what it makes me think of specifically in terms of music is, and you can look across the board at people who have been successful with music, Jewish, non-Jewish, in the general world, and especially those who've been successful in, in the, not just in terms of being a pop, you know, well-known, but in terms of having um, longevity and in, in terms of having a, uh, a profound appeal on you know, generations, etc. There's usually, a, almost always, a stage, if not an ongoing process, where a musician is cultivating their inner connection and their inner creativity. You know, I mean, I think that the idea that one is is locking themselves in a room and cultivating their spirituality for themselves is, I hear what you're saying, is something of the past. But the idea that in order to be able to really give something really deep, you know, and, and to, to inspire and to, to show people what's possible, one has to dig down deep. And that takes, that does take some kind of solitude. I mean, it's not solitude for one's own sake, it's solitude. I don't mean solitude, solitude, you know right. what I mean? Like, it means locking oneself in a practice room, you know? For sure. For the sake of, you know, or, or et cetera, for studying and, and, and going deeper and, and, and spending that, that time. For sure, absolutely. You know, the, the, the Rebbe was also like, if you're a bacher in yeshiva, right? So always the students in yeshiva are like, I need to go out on mitzvahim, I need to go change. And the Rebbe said, no, 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 no. You need to stay and you need to learn. You need to study and you need to become, you know, well-informed and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's for sure the concept of you need to prepare yourself and you need to practice and you need to get better. But that's not the goal. Right. That's the means to an end. That's the means to the end. And the end is helping somebody else. Mm doing it for somebody else um so that what i mean what i mean by that is is if a person thinks if i drop music i will be holier mm. that's not okay right that's not okay um you have to figure out 
how to use music in the holiest way. Right, and I also I think you're in a unique position as someone who you know has a career that that has you know you've seen success and and it's it's a very beautiful thing, um, and I'm sure you inspire others to to pursue their passions, especially within music. But I think for a lot of people, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't that Parnassa aspect. I mean, let alone you know the the, the being well known. I guess they go hand in hand when someone is a performer with Parnassa because, but the idea of Let's say someone who that that doesn't come as naturally. Let's say they have the, the the musical part, maybe does, but the let's say the attention that they're getting from it. There's a lot many people they, they they that's a frustration. So many of them will give it up because it's not leading to pranasa for them, though they may have something very unique and but and powerful to say. I mean, have you encountered people like that? Do you have like a message for that kind of person who let's say they don't immediately or maybe even ever find that um, that external success so to, so to speak in terms of their panas in terms of of getting the kind of the audiences and etc but nevertheless they musically have something important to share and you know what would be your your view of a person in that particular position i, I it's it's very tough it's very tough and it's and, and i and it's and i it's a rahmanus right it, you feel you i feel for you because because if it's your if it's in your blood Right, I, I know also like women and girls who want who want mm-hmm. to do it. Right, even if they, even if they could see success, but right. they couldn't because they can't of the, imagine it. it doesn't the, fit, yeah. the, the roadblocks in the in, in, and I and I feel so so bad for you because I know what you're going through. You know what I mean? So, but I remember I I told my wife before we got engaged that this is what I want to do with my life, um, and I have no idea if it's going to be successful or not, but I'm going to try. And if it's going to be successful, thank God for that. But if it's not going to be successful, um, then, you know, I'm going to find something else to do. But if it will be successful and we find that it's too difficult to live like this, Mm. right? In other words, I'm talking to a young lady who I'm asking to join me in my life. I'm inviting her and saying, I want to marry you and then run after this great success, which is going to take me away from the house most evenings, right? No homework with the kids, no supper time together. Trips, international trips, be gone for a week, two, three weeks at a time. Mm. You know, that's all part of the the dream. The dream of success is in 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 reality extremely difficult mm-hmm. so i told my wife i'm promising you now that if it's if it becomes too difficult mm. i will drop it mm. i will give it up because i have zero intention of suffering more than what is acceptable right for this music career so it it's from 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 all sides i think a person who has music in their blood must must be engaged with music in some way but you cannot suffer mm. more than what's acceptable mm-hmm. in other words if you're not making a parnasa from it and you have a wife and you have children and you're and you are not making any parnasa because you're all you're focused only on music mm. and there's no money coming in you have to be realistic about it if if uh, if it's not working you can't 
ignore your responsibilities as right. a as a father and as a husband. You gotta you gotta go get a job. Um. So it's I and it's 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 tough. Well, that, and that's kind of, that's kind of really where this podcast really finds its your mission in a way, um, because my own personal sense and, and experience is is one of appreciating that particular priority, but at the same time, understanding that giving, let's say giving up, whatever you call it, a dream or a passion, which many people do to their detriment, I feel, but is not an option for, for me. Um, and I feel like for many of these people who give it up, it's not an option for them, but they do it anyway right. because they, they, they haven't been guided in a more holistic way. But that somehow, even if, somehow that there is some way to make it all work. Meaning, yes, Parnassa, you know, making sure that a person's family is taken care of, that one's wife is happy, that is, is a priority. But that doesn't have to come necessarily, you know, that, that it's an all or nothing, that, that someone... It's not making Parnassus for music, so therefore music is out of the picture. I think right. it's really important to find those places, um, and if someone has that that inkling and that passion, that talent, to find it. Who knows what could happen in later times if someone is is working on their craft, and it may take years and years. There are stories like that in the world, also, you know. <laughs> right. Um, of course, you have you have this whole this whole culture now, this uh, entrepreneur mm-hmm. culture, right, where people like Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, Gary V, mm-hmm. I think people are a big chassidim of Gary V. Mm-hmm. And his message is not quit your job and uh, and throw caution to the wind and, and, and just be crazy about whatever it is you're passionate about. Keep your job, right? And you're at, your, you're at work from nine till five and you're making money and you're surviving. But what are you doing between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m.? Right. How are you spending your weekends? How are you spending, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All that extra time, that's where the, the entrepreneur kicks in. Right. So the idea isn't sacrifice your whole life for this passion of music, right? Mm. If a person is blessed, like Rabbi Jacobson said about people sitting in Koilu, you know, for five, 10 years after they're mm. married. If you are blessed with a, with a billionaire father-in-law who's ready to support <laughs> you, so God bless you. You know, good for you, then do it. Mm. But that's not for everybody. People mm. mortgaging their houses and paying things in order that their son-in-law should. It's, it's not, it's not uh, getting off track. No, but I think Torah tour study is a good example. I mean, I think you're finding a lot of parallels. There, there's, you know, the entrepreneur parallel, which is, is more talked about in the world. I mean, there's a Torah study parallel, which is something that, that you know, let's say someone has to work like crazy to make Parnassah. But we we're, we know that, that that there are people who could pull themselves up and find those few minutes here and there and yeah, still sure. become a talmud chacham through a few minutes here and there, you know, because they're pat they have a they have a goal. They, everything is, and I think same with with music, in in that a person, the, I mean, for an entrepreneur, for example, uh, I, I'm not familiar particularly with his uh, um, Gary's teaching, but the that idea that. The job becomes part of your bigger plan. It's not. It's not the end goal in mind that I need this job. I need right. money, but it's part of the bigger plan. It's getting having me on to support me while I'm working on this bigger dream. Right. And I think for for a Jew in general, for a Chassid who who's seeing life on a bigger shluchus um, picture, that everything they're doing is is part of the the whole, and it's not all or nothing. But it's very hard to find that balance. Very hard to find that motivation. And it's you know it's like the, the, think about the the nature of 
you know, someone gets gets deeper into something, you know, it, I mean, it does get its own momentum. I know, you know, the Torah study, it's like if a person, you know, <clears throat> they, they start to learn a little bit and they start to really enjoy it, they, they want, they start thinking about it, they want to do more. I certainly like that with music, certainly like that with, with building a business, you know, that it's, the challenges come up. It's like, it's all, all those things, you know, you know Shulchan who, who have to fundraise for their Chabad houses run into this all the time. I mean, I ran a Chabad sure. house for five years and the fundraising thing never stops being a, an issue, but you have to have a larger, you know, it's almost like when you dedicate yourself to a higher purpose, then you kind of, you may have to make the keli, you have to make the vessel, but you have faith that, that Hashem's going to take care of you. You're doing what you need to do. Hashem's going to do things. And it's a very, it's a, it's a tough path for a creative person. Um, who it's not always so, especially in today's day and age where the music business, the way it was, is is dying or gone. And people talk about that all the time. So in the larger music world, you know, getting a record contract nowadays is like a pipe dream that, that doesn't even lead to what people used right. to lead to. Um, so it's almost like a person has, it's almost like the, the emergence of the real passion now can, because can, now I'm, I'm going to be a big star. No, I, I, I have a mission in this world and I have to bring this music into the world, whatever it's going to take. Um, I mean, I think about, you know, what's music going to be like in the times of Mashiach? You know, like you have, you look at the, um, in this copy of Mishnayos I have, it has a map of the base of Mikdash. And it, it says that under the um, Ezra Yisrael, it, it describes that there's a place where the Levium would study music and place, the, and place their instruments there. And like, I really, in my imagination, like, there's these Levium, they're dedicated to the base of Mikdash, they're dedicated to studying and, I, and my impression wasn't just Levium. I mean, um, they, they were the only singers, but that, that the instrumentalists could be anyone. Oh, yeah? But that they spend, they dedicate their... I mean, the Rambam says that when he talks about Lo Shevi Levi Bovad, this whole idea that, that anyone who dedicates right. their life to Vodas Hashem right. is, is going to be taken care of like the Levium were taken care of. But it's, it, to me, that sparks my imagination, this idea of like someone who's pursuing that craft that you know and and they're servicing the jewish people in that way um serving hashem in that particular way that somehow hashem's gonna take care of them like hashem set it up that the levim get taken care of but i, I guess it's uh you know the the struggles still in the situation we are now are, don't go away as easily as uh as we would hope right you know but um and just final final thoughts just from you. I, you know, I really again appreciate your time. I want to be sensitive to your time as well. But um, you know, what, what in terms of how do you see the world of Mashiach and the, you know the the in terms of musical the role of music. What, you know, how, have you thought about that? Is that something that you've imagined? And what does it look like to you? I don't know. Um, obviously, there's music in the Beis Hamikdash. Music that we're doing now. Um, like we mentioned, is very much to do with making up our nosa, right? There's the shlichus aspect, and then there's the the uh, survival aspect of it. And when Mashiach comes, I would imagine that that whole aspect will fall away, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to have any jobs. Mm-hmm. We're just going to want to sit and study Torah and get to know the Ebrister better. So the commercial aspect of, of music is going to fall away because mm. it's not going to be necessary. Music will will remain in the Avedas Hashem aspect of it. Mm. And in the Avedas Hashem aspect of it, I imagine that there is going to be no more 
the uh, whole concept of a superstar and, uh, you know, uh, the hierarchy and the, you know, there's going to be singers, there's going to be musicians, and there's going to be worshippers, and there's going to be Kayhanim, and there's going to be Levim, and there's going to be everybody doing their job hmm. in perfect harmony. Um, which is, uh, which is L'chayra, a good way to live now. Hmm. Everybody just has to do their job. Nobody's a superstar. I mean, unless your job is to be a superstar, then you'd be a superstar. Right. Because, but because it's your job. Right. Not David because... Malach, you know, was a... Right. Yeah. Right, when his wife said, it's, uh, doesn't, it's not appropriate that you should be dancing like that. He right. said, uh, not appropriate. Right. Everything has its time. I, I'm not uh, somebody super special that can't uh, do certain things. Everything, I'm doing what I'm called upon to do at that mm-hmm. moment, which is, which is what the Rebbe expects of us. Uh, the Rebbe expects us to be humble when it calls for being humble and to be superstars when it calls for being superstars and to be, uh, you know, uh, a janitor in the base medrash when it calls for being a janitor and for being the chief rabbi of, uh, of Russia when it calls for being the chief rabbi of Russia. Whatever you're called upon to mm. do, that's your responsibility to do it. Mm. Whether you're humble about it, whether you're not humble about it, no one's talking about you. <laughs> you have to do your job. And, uh, and that's where Uliyah Mashiach comes. Hmm. Everyone is going to do what they have to do. And uh, music will be part of it, but it will not be with all the competition and with all the struggles and with all the... I can't dedicate time to it because I can't afford to. And that's all going to be gone. Music will be a pleasure. Life will be a pleasure. Everything uh, we will just uh, right, right, sit and enjoy from the tremendous light from, of the Ebershter that he's saved for that time. And we will sing and uh, dance. And, and, oh, and I heard this from the... I didn't see it anywhere. Uh-huh. But I heard, I'm looking for it years already, okay. that the Rebbe said that today, in these days, we have to get our bodies used to dancing. Hmm. Exercise. Practice mm-hmm. dancing a lot. Because when Mashiach is going to come, we're going to want to dance. And you don't want to run out of energy after the first minute. <laughs> Everybody's going to be dancing, going to be catching your breath on the side. Get ready. Get your body used to dancing now because the big day of joy is coming. Wow, right? that's beautiful. Like when Ran Shalomar Kharabashkin came out, uh, it was almost a year and a half ago, even more. Um, so I was at a uh, Suda Saido party. They had a, a party like every night for two weeks. Mm. Like that. And I was out of town, and I, so I came a few days already later mm. to a party that they had in Muncie. And uh, they were dancing, in this, and, and there was cameras following them around a whole day and a whole night. And they were dancing straight, like it was crazy. Right. And I said then that people are wondering how it is that the Rubashkin family has, since uh, Wednesday or whatever day it was, <laughs> till today, nonstop dancing. How do they have that energy? Where does it come from? It's not even humanly possible. I'll tell you the answer. The answer is that they knew that today was coming and they've been practicing dancing <laughs> since eight years ago. And while we've been sitting around, uh, whatever, waiting for something to happen, they've been preparing for this moment and they can dance and they can, and they can keep going for another year if they need to because, they, because <laughs> their bodies are conditioned because they've been expecting it and they've been preparing for it. So we got to prepare ourselves we got to dance a lot, get the, get the exercise in, because Mashiach is coming, and we're going to want to dance and dance and not stop. Amen.
That's beautiful. Benny Friedman, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. We have to do oh, this yeah. again. We'll, we'll, yes, sir. We'll have to figure something out. Yes, sir. A collaboration with the studio would be, be yeah. wonderful. Okay. For sure. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening, for being with us today. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Benny Friedman. And of course, thank you to Benny Friedman for stopping by the studio, for sharing your time and your story and your wisdom. It's been a real pleasure. And I, I really look, look forward to hearing from Benny. I mean, he's a real talent. We're hearing some things that he might come up with that are, that are a little different than what we've heard before. That's always exciting to hear from an artist who's so well loved for a certain uh, genre who's at least contemplating at this point, um, if not planning to do things that are going to be new and exciting. Shir um, Hashem, Shir Chadash, right? We sing to Hashem a new song, so new modes and new approaches. So again, thank you everyone for joining us. Please join us on Patreon as well, soundheightsrecords.com slash Patreon. Right on the homepage there of soundheightsrecords.com. If you're not already on our mailing list, you can sign up over there. And besides feedback about this podcast, if you're interested in hearing new music, anyone want to send me links to their music, uh, music that's been released or finished, or music that's in progress, would love to hear it. Perhaps I can share some of it on this podcast perhaps you could even be a guest or someone you know so please reach out again that's soundheightsrecords at gmail.com that's it for now and remember with abundant singing and playing of music we bring about the true and complete redemption see you next time